Sego, I'm John Cannon. I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, July 11th, 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. Uh, we're going for a different kind of enlightenment here. Um, and we don't, we, we kind of break the rules for Native Radio. We don't do prayers, we don't do Buffalo speeches, and we don't do spirituality shows. We, uh, <laughs> We take a look at history, oppression, survival. We talk about politics, the arts, uh, uh, identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to break uh, is to break down the barriers that separate us and bring people together. Uh, we will take on the false narratives and we'll provide critical thinking to all that seeks upon us. And we do all live right here from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. Uh, we do stream the show on Facebook Live, and of course, the shows, if you're watching, you're either watching it live on Facebook, or you're watching it as a YouTube video, or listening to us as a podcast, and I do encourage people to, to subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV, and to subscribe to our podcast, which is Let's Talk Native with John Kane podcast, and uh, then you'll, you'll be sure to catch all of our shows. Look, a lot of stuff going on all the time, it just seems like... From the, from the murder of George Floyd, a whole series of events has, has almost gained life in terms of um, combating racism, addressing you know, some of these marginalized peoples in these issues, and it just, it just keeps growing. And so something interesting happened just yesterday, a little bit out of the blue. They removed the Christopher Columbus statue from Columbus Park in, uh, in Buffalo. And this statue was a gift from some federation of Italian-Americans in Buffalo or something, Western New York, I guess. I don't know what they're called. But, uh, but these guys donated to the city, and they put it up in this park. And uh, there's been several of us, a number of us for a number of years, raising hell about this Columbus statue and Columbus statues in general. And this federation requested from the city to take the statue back. And so they removed it. Five o'clock in the morning, they took it, they took it away. And then they held a press conference where uh, the mayor, Byron Brown, um, some city councilman, Rivera, and this whole entourage of old white men, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Italian-American men who are part of this association, they all came, you know, were there on site. No native people. There, there was no, you know, counter narrative offered uh, in their in their speech, and and of course that becomes a little bit of an uncomfortable uh, situation anyway. And this group, including again Rivera Brown and the the representatives from this organization, made no comments about the inappropriateness of, of the Columbus statue, but instead said they took it down because they didn't want to get it, want it to get, didn't want it to get destroyed or taken down, you know, illegally or, or, or they didn't want it vandalized. So they wanted to preserve their precious statue. And so they made no overtures about the inappropriateness of Columbus being uh, worshipped by, uh, as some sort of symbol of Italian American heritage. And, it begs the question, 
do all Italian Americans feel this way? Well, they sure don't. And, and I want to introduce a guest, uh, a friend of mine, somebody I've known for, for a number of years uh, through her activism, through the work that I do, uh, both on, on radio and, and my own writing. Uh, I want to introduce uh, um, Luz Mariani. She is a, um, uh, a gender nonconforming poet, photographer, painter, uh, and teaching artist. She is a fourth-generation Italian-American. Liz is a Buffalo native and earned her uh, bachelor's in American studies from the University at Buffalo. And she is now a candidate for a master's of fine arts degree in poetry at Mills College in occupied Olone uh, territory. So let me introduce, and this is the first time that, that Liz has been on my show. So I want to introduce Liz Mariani to Let's Talk Native. Liz, thanks for joining me and give me, giving me some of your time. Thank you very much. Hello. All right. All right. You sound good. Uh, we, we got your, you, you adjusted here well. Um, Great. Let me, look, I, I don't want to put any words in your mouth. I don't want to lead you down a road, but you you were very aware of what took place here and you had contacted me almost immediately when you had heard what had transpired. And I assume part of what, you know, a little bit of a fire in your belly was, um, was the press conference that they heard that they gave and some of the comments that were made and obviously some of the things that weren't said. So let me, without getting into your interpretation of Christopher Columbus, necessarily. We can talk a little bit more about that later. But give me your, your thoughts on what transpired yesterday and, uh, and what was clearly missing from, uh, from the event. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the Federation of Italian-American Societies of Western New York do not represent uh, Italian-Americans in general um, in Western New York. They represent the, their members of their groups. And I'm assuming... Most of their members are white men who are Italian-American, who uh, are in places of power. Um, So there we already have a problem right there. Um, Second of all, to do this at 5 a.m. without any uh, attempt at any Hadinoshoni governance or involvement or conversation, any kind of actual accountability um, for for the harm that has been done by celebrating Columbus and rever- giving him reverence a, a, in the form of a statue and a, naming a park, and then lying to children for 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 decades about who this person was and representative to our actual histories, um, you know, it's just it's just uh, it's one of the final performances of the uh, quickly dying uh, cishet um, heteronormative. Uh, patriarchy uh, within the Italian-American communities. Um, You know, what was missing was uh, everything. You know, uh, obviously it's good that the statue came down, um, but, you know, the the, the take that they were doing us a favor, that, you know, that it was going to, it was not going to come down unless they were going to do it is is the first problem because that was definitely not the case. The second, the second thing is, is that, you know how much how much performative um, how much performance do we have to take from th- these uh, Italian American men pretending to represent our communities anymore? Like we don't have to take this anymore. Well, and, and and part of the issue is they they clearly were still paying homage to the statue. They were still paying right. homage to uh, to to what they felt, what these men felt 
Christopher Columbus represented. And I was also disturbed by some of what I heard from this Councilman Rivera and from uh, from Byron Brown. I mean, when I listen to these guys talk about what was demonstrated today is mutual respect and uh, and an attempt of uh, coming together and uniting our peoples. And, uh-huh. and, and, and of course, that wasn't true. The, the, the previous day, Brown was still quoted as saying he didn't think there was enough of a... Um, uh, um, an outcry to remove the the statue, and now now he says removing this thing is this is this great accomplishment in in uh, in, in the furtherance of peace. I mean, it is it is uh, such. I mean, these guys just lie and they just say this stuff because they're never held accountable for the uh, for the mistruths that they represent, and and that's what I heard not just from from this federation of italian americans but from the, the the local politicians that are trying to heap praise on them with and again and i got to say it again there was no accountability uh, right. that that these men any of these men took for mm-hmm. supporting this idea of of a of a columbus statue in you know in a in a neighborhood in in a uh, in in Seneca homeland territory. I mean, the, the whole, the whole, uh, you know, uh, episode of, uh, of of promoting Christopher Columbus for the last, you know, century anyway, as some hero for Native Amer- for, for Italian Americans has it, it is it it is complete revisionist history. Well, it's revisionist and it's harmful to all peoples, but obviously first indigenous peoples, indigenous children, but also Italian American children, and it lies to them about. Well, who ex- we are. explain that a little bit. I mean, I, I think you know there are probably people who would like to know how. Explain in you know your position on on how this is damaging not just to the people affected by Columbus's arrival in the Western Hemisphere, but by mis uh, misstating the the truth. Well, I mean, first of all, Columbus was of northern Italian uh, ancestry, right? And so most of the people in the United States who identify as Italian-American are Sicilian or southern Italian. Uh, well, and, to be, and to be clear, right? so, the, the so, wave... We the, literally left Italy. The wave, the wave of, of Italian... from the north, right? The, the, uh, hold on a second. So the wave of Italian immigration predominantly <laughs> came from southern Italy. And, and I think that's what, what, you're, what you're suggesting here. And, so, yeah. And yeah. Columbus was from Genoa, which is not southern Italy. It's, in fact, it's not even on the peninsula. It was actually a republic separate from many of the other you know, um, areas of, of the peninsula. And frankly, isn't it true that, that the northern Italy were among the worst oppressors of southern Italy in the first place? Uh, yes, that would be why we left in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's sort of like, it's almost like... Um, decades-long performance of some I- I- intracultural Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's very weird for me. Um, it's also, you know, because I didn't have uh, spaces in my life where I was learning Italian or learning about my heritage um, formally, other than my experience with my family and generally the community, but, like, formally, you know, all these gaps are filled with things that aren't us. You know, Columbus isn't us. The, the Sopranos isn't us. Jersey Shore isn't us. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, how? you know, it's like, the, can we stop this? 
please, and have a real conversation. And the thing that really, 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 really bothers me about this is that, you know, the Federation for Italian-American Societies of Western New York apparently had nothing to say when Palladino was defacing the reputation of Italian-Americans in Western New York. They had nothing to say when Pantaleo murdered Eric Garner. They had nothing to say about these things, right? Yeah. But here, here they hustle. They utilize all their white privilege to get to get the police and to show up at 5 a.m. you know to as if as if Columbus was a living man standing there shivering you know <laughs> naked like oh my god you know what are they going to do to me you well, know the, as if, and the, you and know, the, the other not alive like corporations aren't alive and these statues are not living human beings like, and the, and the like, other part of the conversation that they had and they do what what we hear all the time and and native people I, at least as far as I'm concerned, I, I take find it personally uh, insulting when I hear any group of people who are descendants of European immigrants go on this long story about how mistreated they were and how much discrimination they faced in the United States. And what they're trying to do is to paint themselves as the victim so and that they somehow deserve having a hero like Columbus that they can rally around. And, and that's literally what they say. I mean, they, they make a direct connection to the advancement as, of Columbus as a symbol of Italian-American heritage to the discrimination. I mean, they, they even bring up the, the, you know, the lynching of Italians right. in, in Louisiana, like, right. like that happened in Buffalo or something. And, and so every like time I hear yesterday. this, yeah, every time right. I hear this, you, you, can, you can hear this like crying out for victimhood when clearly they were oppressed people to leave their homelands in the first place. And even and to the extent that, that any European immigrants were discriminated against, and I'm not saying they weren't, but to the extent that they were, where does that leave them? It leaves them being the, the next generation of oppressors. And in fact, instead right. of learning from their experiencing their experience and being sympathetic to the, um, to the oppressed people, they literally become the oppressors. They become the white privileged. Right. And, and so, so my, my take on this is that this whole performance and this type of thing where this, where, you know, let's say someone Irish or Jewish or Italian or Greek American or et cetera comes out and says, you know, I've been, everybody has their own right, like history. And I'm not saying there hasn't been oppression, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you occupy the space of white privilege and you have the capacity and even the option, even if you don't utilize it all the time, uh, for white privilege and white power, like not white power, like white power, but like the power that comes with whiteness. Yeah. What yeah. I mean is, is that like when you occupy that space, you are the oppressor, whether you like it or not, you can't, you can't be in both spaces, right. you know? And, and, and what they could have done, the opportunity that the Federation for Italian American Societies of Western New York could have done with all of that energy and the resources and the hustle that they got together, they could have used it at other times, in Western New York, when maybe there was like hmm, an opiate crisis impacting heavily the Italian American community, um, they could have done some anti-addiction work. They could have done something to help us with the injury of not having uh, learned our language. Not that we don't have access to it, but a lot of us don't speak our language anymore, whether it's Sicilian or Italian. They could have done so many other things uh, that could have been respectful towards reconciliation or actual healing, not performative healing mm -hmm. um, towards Haudenosaunee, specifically Seneca peoples, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like it's sort of like, you know, why, 
why is the reason this was such a big deal is because they're trying to deflect having conversations about Pantaleo and Palladino, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They're trying to deflect having these conversations and we're not having it. And that's why it's so good that there are spaces and places like Burning Books and Bella Child Buffalo and places like people in spaces like this that are having real conversations. These conversations are meant to be difficult, you know, and it's not and it's never going to be a good for a soundbite for corporate news for two, four and seven, Mm. because, you know, these are owned by, you know, banks and oil companies. So it's just really like at what point? Are we going to say enough of us enough? Why don't they call themselves the Federation for some Italian American men who think they represent some societies of some Italian American peoples in Western New York, but not really all of them. But really, we're just scared of losing power. Why don't they call themselves that? Yeah, well, and, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned about accountability and even mentioning guys like Carl Palladino or, or Pantaleo down in you know, uh, with the NYPD. You know, it would be it would be great for these organizations to to offer a, a comment and a statement and and deal with. I mean, there's there's nobody who's demonstrated such overt racism as Carl Palladino, not just on the school board, but in a run for governor and all the other stuff. I mean, these guys, you know, and they don't and they won't condemn them because these are part of, of their power base. And right. And they and they wouldn't even hold a a, a symbol like Christopher Columbus accountable. I mean, what, one of the right, things that is right. clear is that Columbus did some terrible things. He was involved mm-hmm. in the sex slave trade of children. He was mm-hmm. involved in the, in the murder and the mutilation of, uh, of Native people. The, he mm-hmm. essentially began not only the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, the first ships carrying slaves weren't carrying Africans to, uh, to the New World. It was, it was carrying women and children back to uh, back to Spain to be used as slaves and and of course it would start you know what is now over a 500 year genocide that that continues today and they they won't acknowledge that and so even in their removal of the statue they made it very clear that they were doing it to protect it because they and they thought that if anything had happened to the to that statue they thought out said that it would be an insult to italian americans so this this <laughs> inanimate object that that they they want to falsely prop up as a symbol of you know of, of heritage that, that that this guy had nothing to do with they they want to prop that up and then uh, and then suggest that anybody who speaks out or uh, or, or throws a, a paintball or you know let alone topples a thing is doing so at uh, to insult and to injure an entire group of people in in uh, in, in uh, represented by this group, which is simply not true, and it doesn't address what are the underlying issues associated with Columbus in the first place. Well, I mean, and the move that they did, their, their 5 a.m. shame move is what I call it. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the move that they did at 5 a.m. I mean, it, this whole thing is just also very, it's just, it's a hallmark of uh, the, the white supremacist patriarchy. I don't care what, it can happen, it, ha- it happens in different formulas in different spaces. But as soon as uh, groups of Europeans uh, have, have aligned themselves with whiteness, you know, they line up to do the things that they're going to do to maintain that whiteness, which includes uh, being oppressive in many different ways and facets within their own families and communities um, towards black people, people of color, indigenous peoples. 
And what they don't realize is that their families include black people, indigenous peoples, and, um, you know, people of color. Because, no, you know, family, like, when I wrote some, I wrote the statement that I put out the other day uh, or yesterday basically said, you know, th- th- this does harm Italian-American children and, and Hadinoshoni children, right? But there are Hadinoshoni Italian-American children out mm-hmm. there, too, sure. right? Like, so, like, it's like, at this point in time, you know, when we have another performance of, you know, uh, the white male patriarchy trying to dictate the voice for everybody else, I say very respectfully and clearly in, at home, and um, in my poetry and in my work, please sit down and listen. You've had your time. We understand that you're scared and that you can't see past the power that you have worked so hard to amass. And you're afraid what's been done to you and what you have done to others is going to be done to you at this point. But there's a new currency at hand at this point in time. And so I am compassionately asking the communities of Italian American to who are not on board with with having real conversations to take a breath and to step back and take this time, this change of pace that we have because of this pandemic paradigm change, right? That's happening. And take a breath and come to the table and say, you know what, I don't know what to do. It's okay not to know what to do. It's okay to ask the women in your family what to do. It's okay to ask the queer Italian-Americans in your family what to do. It's okay to ask the survivors of sexual violence and disabled peoples within your families what to do. It's okay to do that. You don't have to play like you're Tony Soprano. You don't have to be that person. These toxic male representations are killing us. They're killing us in the performance. They're killing us in the representation. And they're killing, you know, it's not only that it's killing, it's like there is no sustainability in any kind of white supremacy. And this is, this is an, this is a final, it's like, it's almost like they were going to put him in a cradle and say he was born again. Like, give me a break. Well, I I want to address a little bit of what you said here, because one of the things when, when these men step up and say that they are the voice, what they're really doing is silencing the others. And, and you as a, as a, you know, fourth generation Italian American, uh, somebody who is some who doesn't conform to the stereotype that they're trying to uh, create, especially um, to the 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 docile, quiet, um, demure woman. Um, they silence you, and and then they then folks like yourself and anybody who speaks out against patriarchy, especially this machismo Italian-American patriarchy, they get ostracized. They get banished. They get shunned by their own. So it isn't even just about white privilege um, or, or, or white supremacy oppressing others. They're oppressing people in their own families. Yeah, it's killing us. White yeah. supremacy is killing white people. And this performance of the heteronormative, you know, uh, Italian-American, these you know, old Italian-American white men saying that they represent us, it's killing us. This is killing us. We could have used, they could have used these energies to do other things. But even, even, this, even, this, even this could have been done in a way. Like I said, it, it could have right. been uh, a, uh, an epiphany. It could have been that moment. And, and shame on not just those guys, but Brown and Rivera and these others for not saying, look, we are in a time 
where people are becoming more aware and more conscious and more active towards trying to end all forms of racism. And right. clearly the, you know, the worship of, of this figure and, uh, is, is a part of that. They could have owned some of that. But, you know, even, even, even you know, the black mayor, it, it seems to be so intimidated by these white men that he, he basically conforms to them. Yeah, I don't really, you know, I think that I think that there's a whole lot of people in power structures that are used to conforming to certain things to keep their power. Mm -hmm. And that is a person that no longer needs to be in power. The exact reason Cuomo is not having a real conversation about Columbus, you know, (laughs) you know, you know, and um it's it's sort of like let's have a real conversation. Let's offer up some real he- healing, you know, real he- real healing opportunities. Well, and, and um, I've, men- I've mentioned communities Col- all I, around. I've mentioned um, Cuomo before because in his, uh, he's been one of these guys that, as a Democrat, uh, is always prepared to openly condemn the um, the Confederate monuments, but then right. use the exact same argument that the, these folks in the South use to defend Confederate monuments. Oh, no, it's not about slavery. It's about um, Southern pride. It's about Southern heritage. That's the exact same argument that, uh, that Andrew Cuomo used in defending the Columbus statues in New York. He says, yes, and- we, we know about the atrocities and, and we're aware of them, but we're going to ignore that. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and having a monument to Columbus isn't to remind us of that. In fact, we want to bury that. But rather, it is that we have transformed him into a symbol of Italian American heritage, which is which is ludicrous. It's it's like I don't know. It's like eating Cheez Its for the rest of your life for dinner and thinking you're eating a good meal. Like I don't even or understand. Che- are they eating cheese? <laughs> or cheese or, oh, I do like. I wish I could eat cheese myself. Yeah, yeah. No, the point is, is that the thing is, is that like here's a, here's a person who who is the son of the other governor, Mario, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who's, who's very, very wealthy and was obviously raised with a lot of privilege. Sure. Who has amassed a lot of power and he's doing what he needs to do to keep power. But is he doing the right thing for the growth of all the people thinking forward using perhaps a Hadina Shoni perspective? What is he doing to think himself seven, seven generations forward right. about what he's doing to his own people and to the people of New York and stuff like that. Like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. What is this? This isn't right. Let's have real conversations. And now that he's like a darling and a superstar in the media, and you know, and he and his brother pinch each other's cheeks and stuff like that, it's kind of at this point where I'm like, enough. Any, any, uh, any kind of federation or organization representing Italian Americans that only has primarily white male leadership or white woman leadership needs a total total like change up yeah it's done yeah the party's over like you know it's we have to have a different way to have these conversations and the thing about the confederate um monument comparison with columbus is that um you know he's saying it's a special situation it's not a special situation it's the same. It's not what, what, what the situation is, is that Cuomo, you want to keep power. That's your situation. New York is the heart of the Italian diaspora. Maybe, maybe not be per capita. Maybe it's Connecticut that has more Italians per capita 
in the United States than any other state. But New York State is the heart of the Italian diaspora in the United States. And, and it's his base. It's his base. And it's his base. And it's time to have real conversations. And my, my thing is I want to say to anybody who's an Italian-American settler out there that wants to take a space of leadership that thought they never could have that space because maybe they'd gone through much through much trauma or they were queer or they just didn't have enough money or they just were you know they'll be ostracized by their family they might go through a social honor killing or whatever the situation happens however it manifests i'm saying you don't have to ask anymore you don't have to ask because these these gentlemen are not representing us and they're harming us with this misinformation and this myopia and these, these mirages of our story. Yeah. You know, and we have such an opportunity for reconciliation and communication with, with the Seneca nation and with the, all the Haudenosaunee nations. Like, sure. Sure. Why, why can't we have those conversations? Instead, they still got to sail a Santa Maria ship up, uh, you know, <laughs> to the marina. They still got to keep <sighs> doing this stuff. Liz, I want to thank you so much for, for joining me. And look, I did... I, I just wanted to hear a different perspective from somebody who has that ancestry because it is right now it is so monolithic the voices that are heard that it, it, I think some people get the impression that there's only one opinion and and it, and I'm, it is it's refreshing to hear you uh, speak the words you've spoken and to um, frankly just hold the sentiment that you hold and um, and more people more I know more people have that feeling. But but you're right. I think now is the time for people to start expressing it and and feel a freedom to uh, you know to speak speak their mind and and take on patriarchy. So again, I want to thank you so much for being a part of the show and uh, and you know, and offering your perspective. It's uh, it's greatly appreciated. Well, thank you very much, and my gratitude lies with the Haudenosaunee people and nations. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. All right, Bye. that's Luz Mariani who. Uh, Wanted to offer her thoughts on uh, on the Columbus statue removal, and, and to be clear, both of us agree it's a good thing it's down. Uh, and they made it clear at this press conference that one of the main reasons they took it down was because they didn't want us to, <laughs> because they were afraid of what would happen to it. So uh, it is down, and that's a good thing. Hopefully, they find a nice private place to put it, so n- the rest of us don't have to uh, be exposed to it. And we'll see what happens. We'll we'll see what happens to that next, I guess. All right, we're gonna take a break and uh, come back. I want to talk. Look, it's the 30 year anniversary of the attack that led to the Oka slash Gunnazadagi crisis. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, uh, on the second half of the program. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Again, I want to thank uh, Liz Mariani for joining me for the first half of the program. Uh, I also want to thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank Eric White in ERW Enterprises and the folks at Grand River Enterprises for supporting the show on a regular basis. I also, again, want to give a shout-out to those who help from time to time, whether they drop a check in the mail or even those who have helped us in the past to get us to where we're at now. We're entering our 11th year, um, something that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. We have, you know, we've evolved as we've, as we've done this show. We've mixed up dates and our days and time slots and, and any number of things. Um, and of course, we've added uh, doing a New York show uh, since we started doing this show as well. So um, that's all possible because of the support we get from uh, from a few, but uh, support we've gotten from people 
over the years. So again, I want to I thank you. I also want to thank those who who share the show, share the the Facebook live stream, the the podcast, the YouTube videos, all of it. We we did cross the eight hundred. Um, uh, subscription mark a member mark on our subscriptions for let's talk native and uh tv and i'm uh, glad to see that i look forward to to yeah getting it up to a thousand so uh keep spreading the word keep sharing the, the videos and we're going to keep raising the issues so um look there's always something to talk about and right now although there's some of the things that are happening uh, warrant multiple conversations. I, I, I don't want people to feel like we're trying to over belabor a point, whether it's the mascot issue, whether it's the Columbus issue or Black Lives Matter. There are things happening every day that continue that conversation. I mean, I saw them painting a huge <laughs> Black Lives Matter um, uh, text on the, uh, on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Plaza and I gotta admit, it 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 made me laugh. I I, I just I just, just loved it. Just like the one they did uh, in front of the White House. Uh, it, it is it is clearly intended to send a message to to Donald Trump. And but these are the kinds of things that are happening every day. The Washington football team uh, changing its name. The uh, you know the, the the Cleveland baseball team. And while that's going on, you still got the the Chicago hockey team digging in. You've got the Atlanta baseball team digging in and taking a hard position. So there's all always work to do but these these moments where we see a columbus statue removed if not toppled and we see black lives matter having the power that it has and we see more and more people stepping up not just uh, not just to say they're not racist but stepping up as anti-racist it's it is a good time to see uh, the changes that are happening now i don't want to paint too rosy a picture and and think for or suggest or think for a moment that everything is is going to be roses from here on out i know that like everything else it ebbs and flows we're gonna we're gonna win some we're gonna lose some and that's just the kind of the way it goes so um <clears throat> so again i i I'll, I'll take the victories and you know, even when they may be for for skewed reasons, whether it's the removal of this statue or the changing of the, um, you know, of the uh, of the name of the football team in Washington D.C., we'll take it. All right. So today is uh, is July 11th, and July 11th to to many of us is uh, always comes back to um, remind us that that was the day the SQ, which is the provincial police in Quebec, Sorette Quebec. Um, attacked those who were standing in the way of the expansion of a golf course in Ganazadage. Uh, some people know it as Oka. Oka is the is the the village, the white village, but the the, the native territory, the Mohawk territory, is Ganazadage. And they attacked, and they attacked with you know with a militarized police force, and it our guys fought back, and when when the tear gas and the and the smoke from bullets and and the gun uh, the gunfire stopped one uh, police officer was dead and there were a whole lot of areas uh, where the uh, where friends of mine some friends of mine were um were holding up uh that w- was shot up um and this would lead to what I think was a 78-day siege, essentially, where, uh, where, where people would basically barricade themselves in what was called the treatment center. Uh, it would go from being the, the SQ, 
the provincial police to being the the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, to actually being the Canadian Army that would ultimately it would spread not only from Gunasadagi but it would spread over to uh, to, to Gunawage. and then it would spread across. Um, more, mostly across Canada. There wasn't a whole lot of activity that took place on the U.S. side. But what, what came out of this, the, uh, this attack and the stand that was taken to prevent the, an expansion of a golf course from the village of Oka, the municipality, onto Native territory, would stand as a symbol for resistance. It's when people who never knew what the what the unity flag was or the the warrior flag was, they came to know what it was. It it ignited a uh, an element of resistance that went clear across Canada. There were there, there were train rails that were, were shut down. There were power lines that were stopped. There were highways that were blocked, and. We ultimately would have our battles with, with New York State over taxation, you know, uh, coming shortly after that. And a lot of the inspiration for resistance and standing up came from what Gunawagi experienced and what Gunazadagi experienced. And, of course, Mohawk territories from uh, all of them converged and all of them had, uh, you know, people that either went there or were laying in wait for whatever the next step was going to be. And, and of course, we saw racism. I encourage people to, to check out the video. This is Canada. Um, it, is, it, gives, it, it shows some of, the, of what took place um, during, in the midst of, uh, of the Oka Gunnazadage crisis and the racism that was on full display, everything from effigies to rock flowing to, uh, throwing to uh, riots you know, by these, uh, the non-Native people, uh, the violence, no arrests. No arrest, but uh, plenty of violence and um, and vandalism took place. There were um, there was destruction that, that was done at the hands of not only the non-native protesters, because the bottom line is we blocked the, the the bridge in the midst of all this stuff as a show of solidarity, and and that that just got people angry, and 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 of course it would lead to uh, you know a literally an assault team from the Canadian military landing on uh, Degakwita Island, which is um, a, a part of Gunawage, unloading a whole bunch of soldiers that basically got their asses kicked. <laughs> I mean, our, our guys, you know, I, I still envision, you know, pictures of Danny Phillips and others just, just laying, into the, laying into these guys. And, um, and it was inspiring. I mean, look, I know a lot of people suggest that, you know, that kind of, um, physical resistance is dangerous, and it is. It is. But there is a time that you've got to take a stand. And usually, and, and I've said this even recently, look, violence is not um, a symbol or an expression of strength. Violence most often is used when you are in a vulnerable situation, when you are in the weak situation. I mean, when a, when a mouse bites uh, you know, bites a, a much bigger animal. It isn't because that m- mouse is feeling strong. It's because it's fighting back with this with this last bit of energy. And and I'm not saying that to to belittle our people, but our people could have easily just caved, and they didn't. They stood up, and it would serve as a symbol. Look, earlier this year, uh, Native people were, were blocking highways. Basically, our Mohawk territory started blocking highways and railways in solidarity of what other Native people were experiencing, almost as payback or as you know, as compensation for when some of those other territories stepped up for us. 
So even though it's 30 years later, to 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 understand what what has been what was created at that moment. And that moment was tough. I mean, it was it was a, a tough situation. Even the idea of, of Gunawage becoming under siege be, because of what took place in Gunazadage. We we showed and demonstrated solidarity. We demonstrated unity and and resistance in, in ways that would send shockwaves across Canada. Now, and, and I mean it. I really do mean that it did. I mean, they did an analysis on, uh, in one of these, they're called McDonald-Laurier reports, and they did this analysis where they were trying to calculate the, um, the likelihood of, a, of an armed insurgency. And in the wake of, of not only the, uh, the Gunnazadage slash Oka crisis, but the I Don't Know More movement and so many other things, it, they used a computer model developed by one of the Ivy League schools on the U.S. side and plugged in basically the, the, the data to, that would suggest that, yes, Canada was ripe for, uh, for uh, um, an insurgency. And they, at the top of that list was not only the, the, the Mohawk warrior societies, but Native people just in general across Canada. Uh, they, they were shaken because of what took place at Oka. And what took place in Gunnazaga and Gunawage. And, and 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 the thing is, even though they were shaken, they didn't adjust their policies. So one of the, the you know the questions that I always want to ask is what lessons were learned? And who learned those lessons? I mean, because clearly I've I haven't seen any indication that the US or Canada changed their policies directly as a result of, uh, of the resistance in, in, in Gunnazadage and Gunawage. Uh, and, and the rest of the world was condemning what Canada was doing. Canada sent like 500 troops to, you know, to the Middle East during you know, Desert Storm or whatever else. But they had over 5,000 troops, including um, their Navy vessels in, in the St. Lawrence, and they, including doing, I think, flybys with F-15s. I mean, it was, it was an absurd... Um, demonstration of force uh, and, and intimidation that, that they were tempting. But I'll tell you, all of those images of, of Constantine Wire would lead for years. Our kids would look at barbed wire as a, as a toy. Our, our kids were stringing barbed wire at the ends of their driveways, uh, you know, reenacting what, what they saw during the Oka crisis. Uh, camouflage became one of the most popular materials in uh, in in most native territories. I mean, the idea of of camouflage and and native imagery being combined, um, it that was that was the rule of the day after that. But and and our people did learn. Like I said, some of the resistance that took place here in in Seneca territory over taxation. You could see some of that inspiration came directly out of, uh, uh, you know, out of the, the the crisis caused by the SQ attacking over expanding a golf course. There's even a, a film. Um, the, the, I think it's called is it the Insider? What did I tell you that it was the Insider? I think it was a Russell Crowe movie where he plays um, a character who worked for the tobacco industry, and it was about trying to expose. You know, one of the first lawsuits against the tobacco industry. And Al Pacino plays a 60 Minutes r- reporter. In the very beginning of that movie, there's actually a reference to the, to the Mohawks being surrounded by the RCMP. And, and the reason it's being brought up in this film is because it was a, um, a media story 
that was blacked out on the U.S. side. 60 Minutes never carried the story. It was the insider, okay. I mean, so 60 Minutes wouldn't carry it. 60 Minutes wasn't sure they could carry the tobacco story either. But so most of what, because if you lived like here in, in uh, close, this close to Buffalo, which is this close to Toronto, there are a lot of people who could find Canadian television. They could find, they could pick it up on the, on the radio. So a lot of people that, that I uh, know were able to follow this stuff. But if you got too far away, you weren't going to find find much of this being covered, and you know, frankly, the BBC was covering it better than the than the uh, the CBC, the Canadian broadcast system. Um, it, so again, th- there was like a media blackout. It was really hard to follow this thing on a daily basis, and it would last throughout the summer. And you know, I I had friends that were there. My friend Mitch Deer and Gontanetta Horn, who's who sat in our studio. Look, it is our plan that we still want to do a video where we talk about lessons learned from uh, 30 years later. And, and we're hoping to do that still. Um, but, w- w- you know, it's, it's so tough right now because of the, the, the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, I should say. Um, it's hard to get people together. And, and, you know, technology isn't as great as what people think. If you watch any of the other programs on cable news or, you know, even... HBO's Bill Maher or whatever else, some of the connections that you see through Skype and Zoom, they're absolutely terrible. I've never seen such a failure in, in what people think is advanced technology. And trust me, we don't have it either. We're, we, we struggle to do things by phone and by you know, uh, connecting up to our station in, in New York when we do the New York show. But um, we, we look forward to, to being able to produce some of the solid videos that we've done in the past. I do have to recommend people do subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. And look, if, if, if your appetite isn't for the one-hour shows that we do here as Let's Talk Native or in New York as Let's Talk, um, scroll down to the, to the short-form videos. We, we do a bunch of videos that, that isolate a, a specific topic, and they're only five or ten minutes long. Um, some of them have become you know, popular enough that... Uh, that People have been using these videos as um, as teaching tools. So uh, again, those are, are we've got videos on Columbus, on gaming, on you know uh, um, uh, legal issues, uh, doctrine of discovery, um, the mascot issue. There's all kinds of stuff. There. So so check it out. As I as I mentioned earlier. Um, the, the latest video we did, which is This is Canada, really highlights some of the racism that was on display during the, uh, the Oka Gunnazadagi crisis. Um, it's, it's not the video that we will produce, but it's the one that we, we produce specifically to highlight the level of racism that does exist on the, on the Canadian side, especially for all those people who think that um, Canada is so nice and that you know, Trump has ruined <laughs> the, the U.S. and that people need to escape um, not realizing just the level of racism and uh, you know and and the left right battles that take place on the Canadian side just like they do on the U.S. side, it's 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 still pretty bad. And if you're native, oftentimes you're going to experience even worse racism on the Canadian side um, and more oppressive govern, governing policies than than we do here. It's a, it's a fight. It's a, it's a constant struggle, and it's why we do what we do here with the show. It's why the the crisis in 1990 uh, in um, Gunas occurred in the first place. We are in a constant struggle for asserting our distinct um, cultures, our people, and our territories. 
And it's, it's one of those challenges. I mean, we, we just heard a Supreme Court ruling this week uh, where the Supreme Court recognized that almost half of Oklahoma still, by their own account, is still considered Indian reservation. So this isn't them giving land back to Native people. In no way, shape, or form is that. But, but what they're saying is that when we look at the legal record of lands and, and, uh, and what would be a legal transfer of, of land title, they don't see it. And that exists across, you know, the, the U.S. and the Canadian side of that Im- imaginary line where there's been assumptions about who we are or who, what we've become, what we've digressed to, wh- the, our submission to Canadian or U.S. policy and, and uh, governance and citizenship. When in reality, there isn't a whole lot of um, legal uh, foundation to assert that our lands are, are no longer ours or that we are no longer distinct. And so the battles that we go through, so whether we're you know, fighting you know, something that may not seem like the most important. Look, look we always get asked, you know, why, why all the debate over mascot issues? Why all the debate over statues? Well, there's a reason that we, we tackle those issues, not just because they're low-hanging fruit, which they really are, <laughs> Um, but we've got to change the educational system. And every time that we've had some level of success, it, it inspires the next, not just generation, but the, the next group, you know, whether it's generational or not, to do something more. So what took place 30 years ago served as the inspiration for what would be resistance and, and movement uh, you know, the, the, the sovereignty movement or whatever you want to call it, that would ig- stay ignited for 30 years. Every time we've, we've pulled off some level of success in, in, in fighting back against New York State or the federal government or supporting, you know, um, the fight in, in other territories out west, you know, on either side of the imaginary line, every time we've done that, we've, we've set the stage for the next group of young, young people to come up and do something more than we did. So when the Columbus statues fall, when the, the mascots fall, we're, we're paving the, the road for the next generation to say, what am I setting my sights on? And so when we talk about lessons learned, we have to keep moving the ball. We, we just can't stop. We can't say, all right, we've done enough. And that's why I say as much as I'm inspired that – there does seem to be change afoot since the murder of George Floyd. And, and, and it's so tragic that it, that it would take something like that to, to finally uh, enable people, and empower people, inspire people to do something. And not just the oppressed people, but those people who have been sitting on the sidelines with their white privilege, who have remained silent. When those people f- finally witness something that says to them, I can't be silent anymore. When it says to them, I, can, I, I understand what that person was going through as he was dying calling out to his mother. When you can empathize with, with, with somebody in crisis, then you're moved to do something about it. So as much as I want to inspire the next generation of native activists, I also want to inspire as many people not to take lead, in, in our struggles, but to support us. And look, when you find yourself on some forum off of one of these news channels, and trust me, some of the hateful things that I saw since the Italian Federation removed the statue 
and, and some of the vitriol that has come our way. I, I, somebody sent me, in fact, I took a screenshot, I should post it. Somebody says, are you happy now, a-hole? <laughs> it's one of the emails that I got just yesterday. I was thinking, well, that's, that's just cherry right there. <laughs> but I look at friends like my friend Donovan Boyle, who literally people are saying that violence has to be used against a woman because she's standing up against mascot issues. And, 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 you know, of course, they associate it with, with communism and, and all kinds of other, you know, you know, BS rhetoric. And they say the only way to respond to that is with violence. And they're literally threatening her life. So when I, when I look at how people respond to their, their fear, I mean, my son was talking to me today and he said he heard, overheard somebody saying, well, I got my Trump flag hanging in my window and I've got two loaded guns, so I'm ready. Ready? You sound scared. I mean, that's fear. Look, if you have to, you know, be be packing heat because you feel like something is being taken away from you, and then you identify some of the things being taken away from you, like your high school mascot. I mean, and, and you're willing to to hurt somebody or kill somebody over something like that. You are not only a little bit deranged, but you're also living with a level of of, of fragility, fragileness. I mean, such. That is such a weak existence that you're on the verge of, of committing a violent act for something that is not by any means life-threatening, but has just gotten to you. It has literally gotten to the point where, where you feel your white privilege is slipping away. So we do need white allies. We do need people across. I mean, one of the reasons I support Black Lives Matter, not because they need my support. I, I support Black Lives Matter because I recognize what, what black people are going through at the hands of cops. Why do I recognize it? Because we're going through it too. So I have to support what they're, because their fight is our fight. Not because I'm trying to win brownie points with, uh, with the black community. That's not why. I, I mean, when Freddie Gray w- was murdered, I was on 7th Avenue in New York City walking with a crowd. It, with this huge police presence. I mean, you, you ha- you, you've got to feel compelled to be engaged in a battle against injustice. And, and, I, and I say it before and I'll say it again. I could support any group of oppressed people who are fighting against oppression, even if my goals for my own people are a little different. Because as a Native person, I'm not trying to fight for equality. I'm not trying to fight for my constitutional rights. I couldn't, I couldn't give a rat's ass whether the people in North Dakota are allowed to vote in state and federal elections. Because I don't think we should in the first place. I'm not fighting for those rights. I'm not fighting for the right to vote or for my rights as a U.S. citizen. Why? Because I don't consider myself a U.S. citizen. I am fighting for our distinction. For I am fighting for our right to a free and independent existence. And I'm not talking about living in a cave. I'm not talking about isolation. Uh, you know, independence is having the, being able to assert your rights and, and make your own decisions. That's the independent. I'm not saying that we, 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 you know, we build a wall around us and that we, we live as an island. No, I'm not. That's, that's isolation. That's not independence. And it doesn't mean that we can't have relationships with people, other independent people, or other people with rights. So when I listen to, to some of the vitriol that comes from 
somebody's response to a statue being removed or somebody's response to you know uh to to the, again a mascot issue or or c- condemning um the systemic racism in a police department sorry it is it's there it, it exists we see it and, and how do you know it exists it's simple look at the violence and who it's perpetrated against look at who's in prison look who's in jail and look at who's perpetrating the violence and if, if you can recognize that there's a disproportionate number of people of color, uh, whether it's Native people, whether it's black people, whether it's you know other brown people, whatever, if you can see people who are targeted because of who they are or, or what people think they are because of this whole race thing, then clearly that racism exists. When you look at how quick a, a police officer is to gra- is to pull a weapon against a black man as opposed to a white man. Dylan Roof killed nine people in a church. He didn't have a scratch on him when he was arrested. He was taken to Wendy's or Burger King for a burger on his way to, to being locked up. They don't take uh, native people or black people to McDonald's on, on their way to uh, the way to lock us up. In fact, there's a good chance we're probably not going to have teeth to chew the food uh, if they were to give us any. But, I mean, when you, when you consider the different way that a person is treated just based on the color of their skin, it, it's obvious. And, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest problems with police departments isn't the so-called bad apple. It's the complicity. So... When I talk about more and more people being engaged in anti-racism, it's the choice that people are making to either be complicit in racism or tolerant of racism or saying, no, I'm not going to laugh at your joke. I'm not going to uh, stand by and, and let you drop the N-word or the R-word or, or go on blackface or redface. No, I'm going to stand up to it. That's why the changes are happening because there is increasingly less and less complicity with the racism that is so abound in the United States and on the Canadian side. So again, I want to thank Liz Mariani for joining me today and offering a perspective from an Italian-American woman uh, on this Columbus issue. And I want to thank you for listening and being a part of our show. This is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native. Nyawe. 